Um, the young man that we prayed for last week, our, our worship team member's son, who was in the hospital, as we were praying, he had had symptoms for 12 hours, and the very moment, in fact, they looked back on the Facebook page, and they can trace it back to the very moment that we were praying, all his symptoms disappeared. And he was His power manifest. We had prayed that we might know that it wasn't a coincidence. And so we saw healing that was not a coincidence last week. And I just praise God so much for that. Also, I have not been able to be in the Love Life movement the last couple of Saturdays. But uh, this is an odd praise report. But uh, one of my pastor friends who was there and his church was there yesterday reported that there were only six women. And that's six too many. But there were only six women that showed up at the abortion clinic in Greensboro yesterday. And sometimes they have up to 20 on a Saturday. So the numbers are dropping. You know why the numbers are dropping? It's because the church is praying. And so let's pray that God would shut that place down. And that that place of death would become a place. He's doing it already. Sometimes I get too political, and so you're really not going to like this. Um, but I think the church needs to be aware, okay? Part of my calling is to be a watchman on the wall and to point out when danger is coming and when the enemy is advancing. And understand, our enemy is never flesh and blood. Our enemy is Satan. Our enemy is the enemy of our souls. He uses people and he manipulates people, but he's always our enemy. I don't know how many of you were able to watch the presidential town hall that happened this past week. Several presidential candidates, and I won't go into all the details on that, but basically there were statements made that if churches believe what the Bible says on human sexuality and marriage, they ought to lose their tax-exempt status. If Christian organizations believe what the Bible says on sexuality and marriage, they ought to be shut down. Why am I telling you this? Why am I speaking on this? You need to understand, I believe this firmly, there is a day coming, and I don't know when that day is going to be made manifest, but the, the voice is already out there. There is a day coming where to be a Christian who believes what the Bible says on these issues is going to bring persecution to your door. And you need to understand, you need to make up your mind right now, do you want to be a follower of the world or do you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Because if you don't make your mind up now where there's relatively very light persecution, when the day of persecution comes, you will not stand. And there are going to be decisions that have to be made. There are already churches out there that are bowing down to the culture. They're bowing down to the wickedness that's working in our culture. And by God's grace, we're not going to be one of them. But you need to personally make your mind up. You need to personally understand what God's Word says. Build on that firm foundation. Build on that solid rock. And some of us probably need to get off the fence. Some of us probably need to decide we're going all in with Jesus. Because right now it doesn't cost us a lot. But there is a day coming where it may cost us everything. Ask our brothers and sisters around the world what they're experiencing as they try to follow Jesus. And you'll get a picture of that. 
And y'all, I'll be honest with you, if that offends you, you can come and talk to me, and I'll be glad to talk to you, but I'm not backing up on what I just said. You need to know that this is not If you're playing church, if you're playing around with Jesus Christ, you, you don't need to do that. You need to go all in with Him. Uh, go ahead and make your mind up. And so let me, I guess that's a word of encouragement. It doesn't sound that encouraging, but that is a word of encouragement to you. You need to go ahead and get there uh, right now because we don't know what the future holds. Well, today we are continuing our series. Our series is called Overcoming. And the premise behind this is if you're going to live the Christian life, you're going to have to overcome some things. It's not always going to be sunshine and roses. It's not always going to be easy. I heard a pastor uh, talk about churches that always put things that way. They call them gummy bear churches. He said, you sing a couple of positive songs and you hear a motivational type message and then you go home and you think that's going to prepare you for the battle at hand. Life is not always like that, is it? And by the way, I love once in a while to give you guys a great positive sermon. It's not that I'm never going to do that. I think that has its place, too, where I encourage you and build you up. But at the same time, we have some things we have to face in life. We have some things that we have to overcome as we live with Jesus. And last week, we talked about overcoming fear. And I, I did, you guys laid your cards down here, and I said, you know, guys, don't put your name on there. I don't have I don't need to know who has what fear, that sort of thing, to be able to pray over those things. But I would say the number one thing, as I, and I read the cards and then I got destroyed the cards, and so everything was kept private except for me and, and my prayers. The number one thing that I saw on that was that people are concerned their children will not make it to heaven. That was the number one fear of this church. And I understand that because of the culture that we have. And I want you to know I'm praying for you and I'm praying for your kids and I'm praying for my kids. Because I have four kids and I don't know what they're going to face. And I don't know. We're doing everything we can, my wife and I, to make them. I don't care if they're successful in the world's eyes. I want them to be successful in Jesus' eyes. That's what I care about. So we talked about that last week. Next week we're going to talk about overcoming addiction. And addiction is so prevalent in our culture right now. And it's, it's very prevalent in Randolph County right now. You guys know that. I, I, I'm pretty sure you're aware of that. You just drive down the road and you can see people walking down the side of the road who show signs of addiction. I'm not trying to judge. I'm just saying the signs are there. You've heard about the overdoses that are happening in this county. So I think that's going to be a timely message. And then the final week we'll be talking about overcoming depression. I will be in Israel, uh, Lord willing, and everything's protected there. So I'll be in Israel, and Pastor Jason will bring you uh, that sermon. And so Jason's going to do a great job. That one's really going to bless you as well. So that's what we're talking about coming up. But today we're going to talk about overcoming anger. We're going to talk about that issue. I don't know I'm going to ask poll or anything right now, but I'll just be one to say anger is something I have struggled with in my life. It's something that I've had to fight to overcome. Uh, we, we have a thing in our family we call the Tysinger temper, and it's passed down from the guys, and it, it, we kind of laugh about it, but it's been passed down. If you know my dad, you're like, 
Charles is the most gentle, kind guy in the world. I can't believe he has a temper. But he's had to overcome that and wrestle with that in his life. I've had to overcome that and wrestle with it in my life. And it goes back. There's a thing called generational sin. And it can be passed down from generation to generation. And you have to break that. You have to overcome that. Um, our premise for this series, let me mention this before I move on. Our premise for this series is that we can overcome anything because Jesus overcame everything. We can overcome anything because Jesus overcame everything. Now, will you be defeated if you go at it on your own? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. If you try to do it in your own strength, you will fail. But through the strength of Jesus, through, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can overcome anything because Jesus overcame everything. Hey, and I'm going to say this right now, guys. Because I, threw, I guess I've thrown some heavy stuff on you at the beginning of this sermon. I need you to talk back to me today. I need you to respond. Okay? As I'm preaching, I want you to feel free to respond back. Not maybe whole sentences or paragraphs, but some affirmation, you know, some, some words as we're going along. Let me know if, if you're getting what I'm saying. Because what we're going to talk about today is really important. Uh, if I did a poll today, and if I asked you if you had an anger problem, if you had anger issues... Maybe someone would raise their hand and say, yeah, I deal with that. But I think there would be a lot who probably would say, no, 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 I, I'm really good. That's not one of my issues. And some of you would be telling the truth, and some of you would be in denial. Anger is a real easy thing to deny. Anger is a real easy thing, thing not to admit that we struggle with. It's nothing that anybody really wants to admit. And it's really easy to dismiss anger issues if you have them. I've heard people say, and I've even said this before, I'm not angry, I just get frustrated. Can you tell me the difference between anger and frustration? I mean, there's such a fine line, you know. When I'm frustrated, I'm usually angry, and when I'm angry, I'm usually frustrated. And so we'll, we'll put another word on it, a euphemism that makes it sound better. Or if you're in Randolph County, you get frustrated. I don't know. That's, uh, either way. We dismiss it that way, or I'm not angry, I just know my rights and I take up for myself. Okay, and I get that, and we should respect ourselves and we should love ourselves, but there is a point where taking up for ourselves can become an aggressive thing, it can become an abusive thing, it can become a thing that's wrapped in anger, and so I don't know if we let ourselves off the hook that way, or somebody might say, I'm not angry, I'm just expressing with my emotions. Okay, but if your emotion is anger and you're expressing it, you're an angry person. So no matter what kind of excuse we make for ourselves in this, sometimes we just have to admit, I struggle with this. I think, and I may be wrong on this, I feel like most of the time it's more of a men's issue than a women's issue, but I'm not sure that's 100%. I think we can have, I've known some angry women in my life. Uh, not my wife, she's perfect, but I've known other people who are angry. In fact, probably as a pastor, my top three or four people who were the toughest to deal with, no offense ladies, were ladies and they had anger issues. So it can be a man, man's issue before I get myself in trouble. It can be a man's issue or a woman's issue. But I think a lot of guys deal with this. I, I know that I have over the years. So in case you're in denial, I want to give you a real quick quiz on anger. This is from a psychologist, and I hate to even say this, but he's from Duke University. Uh, yeah, we're praying for all of you that just, just like that. But uh, he's from Duke University, Duke psychologist. His name is Dr. Redford Williams. And he came up with just a seven-question test to help you know if you have anger issues or not. 
And so each one of these you answer yes to, you can give yourself mentally another point, you know, and the more points you have, the more that you probably have an issue with this. So let's see if we can be honest on this. The first thing that we would say yes or no to is, I get mad over little things. Hey, wives, don't look at your husbands right now. Just don't do that, okay? Just everybody be your own person right now. I get mad over little things, yes or no. I have trouble being patient. We were standing in the line yesterday, and we went up to NASCAR days. We had a few things that we got Richard Petty to sign yesterday. And we were standing in the line, and it was wrapped around the building. And my son Aiden said, notice how everybody's all grumpy when they're in line. But the minute they get up there to him and talk to him and get some things signed, they just take their time, and they're all happy. And, you know, everybody slows them down for everybody else. Do you have problems being patient? Do you get upset in lines? Do you have trouble waiting? Number three, I tend to complain often. I tend to complain often, yes or no to that one. Number four, I hold grudges against people. Do you forgive quickly or does it take you a long time to get over things? Okay, I'll be honest with you. I'm a person that takes me a long time to get over things if I'm not careful. I have to take it to the Lord and I have to have Him help me with that. I get red in the face often and we're not talking about embarrassment. Where we're talking about, actually we were at NASCAR days yesterday and we saw a lady and, and uh, everybody in our group said, man, that woman over there is so red in the face. And I had actually seen that she was fussing with a family member earlier and her face was still red because they've been having an argument. I that's not you, but it might be. I am, I am overly sensitive. I am overly sensitive. Uh, little things offend me. Number seven, I have trouble empathizing. I, have, I don't understand that one. No, I'm um, I have trouble empathizing, yes or no. So for every one of those you said yes to, that increases your score of maybe having anger issues. And so really, if you said yes to three or more of those, you probably have some anger issues that you're dealing with. And I know some of you are saying, because I've said the same thing before too, well, Jesus got angry. And that's true. That's true. Jesus did get angry more than once in the New Testament. Jesus got angry. That's a fact. That's reality. And you might say, and God the Father got angry. And that's true. You look in the Old Testament. God's wrath, His anger was kindled many times in the Old Testament. And sometimes in the New. The, the Apostle Paul got angry at the false teachers. False teachers. They were talking about circumcision, and Paul at one point said, I wish they wouldn't just circumcise themselves. I wish these false teachers would go all the way. I would say he was a little angry at that point. He was not happy with these false teachers. And there are other heroes of the Bible who got angry. And yes, you might point out, and rightly so, the Bible does say that to be angry and not sin. And so it shows us there is a type of anger that we can have that is not sinful. If we're commanded to be angry and yet not sin, there must be a type of angry that's anger that's not sinful. So yes, righteous anger does exist. There are some things we ought to be angry about. There are some things in this world, there are some injustice in this world, there are some oppression of people we ought to be angry when we see those things. And probably there's something wrong with us if we don't get righteously angry at those things. But let me give you a little help on this. What's the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger? You will notice that righteous anger on Jesus' behalf, God the Father's behalf, these people in the Bible, their anger 
when it was righteous, was always for God's glory. They were angry that somebody was tearing down God's glory. Or their anger was directed toward people who were being abused and misused. When Jesus turned over the, table, the tables in the temple and came in with the wind and drove out the money changers, that was not because they'd done anything to Jesus personally. That was because they were abusing the poor people at the temple in the name of God. And Jesus got angry, but it wasn't on his behalf. It was on behalf of people that were around him. Righteous anger comes about on behalf of God's glory or on behalf of others. It is not anger on our own behalf, usually. So the question is, is your anger righteous or selfish? I'm a big enough boy that I can admit nine times out of ten when I get angry, it's selfish. It's not, not for God's glory. It's not for somebody else. Somebody has done something wrong to me, and I get angry on my own behalf, and therefore it is not righteous anger. And that type of anger needs to be overcome. If we're to live a strong Christian life, a blessed Christian life, we need to overcome that type of anger. Now, when I was studying this, I did not think I was going to go this way with this sermon, but I believe that God really gave me something for you today. At least it helped me. When I learned this, I was like, it's almost like a light bulb went on. And this helped me, so I hope it helps you as well. If it doesn't help you, then it was just for me, but I don't think so. I think God shared it with me so I can share it with you, and I think maybe it will help you as well. But God began to give me an image as I studied this. God began to give me an image of anger and how anger works that really helped me. And what God did was he began to show me an image of a tree. As I read the scripture, I could see an image of a tree, kind of a tree of anger that can grow up in the middle of our life. Not a good tree. Trees can be good. Trees can provide life and send their symbols all through the Bible of trees being life-giving and healing and that sort of thing. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about a wicked tree that can grow up in the middle of our life, an evil tree. The Bible talks about good trees and bad trees, good fruit and bad fruit. So this is a tree that will bear always bad fruit when we have an unrighteous anger. Trees have three basic parts, guys. Work with me on this. Trees have three basic parts. They have the roots, they have the body or the trunk, and then they have the ends where the fruit is, okay? So basically the roots, the body, and the fruit. And anger works the same way. It has roots, it has a body, and then it has fruit that develops in our life and can mess our life up. It's bitter fruit. It's not good fruit. It's something that can destroy us and hurt us. So what we're going to do today is we're going to start from the bottom and we're going to work our way up through this tree of anger so you understand what causes it, what it looks like, and what the fruit of anger actually ends up being. James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. By the way, James didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah until he saw him risen. And that kind of proved, you know, it'd be hard to have brothers or sisters. I'm an only child. But I imagine those of you who had brothers and sisters, it would be hard for you to believe that your brother or sister was the Messiah, right? James struggled with that. But once Jesus came back from the dead, he was like, you know, Jesus, I think you have something there. Maybe you were the Messiah after all. But James was the half-brother of Jesus. And in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he writes about anger. He writes about the fruit of anger and what anger does. He says, what is causing quarrels and fights among you? Man, isn't our culture full of quarrels and fights? 
I mean, it's like everybody's at everybody's throats and just they'll turn violent heartbeat and it's just, it's kind of scary where we are right now. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. So what is James telling us here? What is the root of anger? Well, the root of anger is a spirit of entitlement. You might want to write that down somewhere because that's, that's important. The root of anger is a spirit of entitlement. We get angry because we don't get what we want. Or we get angry because we get something we don't want. And deep down we feel like it shouldn't, we deserve for it to go our way. It should have gone my way. I should not have had this bad thing come into my life. Or there's good things that should have come into my life, and I did not get those. And so because we have this spirit of entitlement, we think it should go our way, and then it builds up resentment and bitterness and anger. And so the root of anger many, many times is a spirit of entitlement. But you think about that. If we feel like it should always go our way, nothing bad should ever happen to us, only good things should come our way, that's really arrogance. That's really an arrogant spirit. That's really a haughty spirit. If we think we're too good to ever have anything go wrong for us. Or we're so good that everything, I'm such a good person. God, why is God not blessing me like he's blessing that person? You ever thought that? That's where anger can come into us. Anger can settle down in our spirit. Think about it this way, y'all. Humble people. If you know somebody who's truly humble, how many times have you ever seen a humble person get angry? I don't know if you ever have. If somebody's truly humble, you won't see them, at least not unrighteously. You don't see somebody get selfishly angry if they're a humble person. Think about somebody, don't, don't call any names, don't speak it out or anything like that, but think about somebody right now in your mind that you think is entitled. Somebody who has a spirit of entitlement. And then think about how many times you've seen them get angry. Not calling any particular group out right now, but some of the college students around our land. Man, they, they, they feel like everything ought to go just their way and it ought to be like this. And if you mispronounce their name or if you don't get their pronoun right or whatever, they go crazy. Yell and scream and just, just lose their minds. It's a, it's a spirit of entitlement that leads to this anger in people. I get angry because I think I'm too good to suffer. I get angry because I think I'm above pain. I get angry because surely I shouldn't have to wait in line. Surely when I go to the fast food restaurant to pick something up real quick, there shouldn't be a line for me. I shouldn't have to suffer through that. I shouldn't have to put up with that. I get angry because I'm entitled to better than this. I'm entitled to better than this. Y'all, my brain is wired up in such a way that I notice patterns. I always have. I notice kind of patterns and things that happen and then try to put it all together and figure it all out. And I noticed when I came back to this church as a pastor, and we had, you guys know the story, we had to make a lot of changes here. We had to do a lot to turn this church around. This church was going to die if we didn't make some changes. So as we made changes, people would leave. And once in a while, sometimes, and they wouldn't just walk out the back door and disappear. Once in a while, if I was lucky, I would get the exit interview. And they would come to me and they would tell me, Pastor, this is why. And I always actually appreciated that. I appreciated that much more than just saying, hey, where did, where did they go? I hadn't seen them in a while. Oh, they're in the church down the street now. I liked when I actually got those. And so they would tell me why 
they were leaving. And one of the patterns I noticed is sometimes they would tell me that what they didn't like, usually it was the music or sometimes it was my preaching or, or whatever, you know, and they would give me that. But then a lot of times they would add in this, and I noticed this happened more than once. It happened several times. They would say, you know, I gave a lot of money around this place. Or sometimes they would say, you know, I did a lot of work for this church. And what as I started to think through that and try to understand, God, why, why do they keep saying this? What they were saying is, I did my duty, so therefore I was entitled to get what I wanted. And since I didn't get what I wanted, I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home. It was a spirit of entitlement that led to anger, that led to a breaking off, a disunity, and a separation. Anger can do that a lot. But at the very root of it was this spirit of entitlement. It should have gone my way. I've earned that right. If you're a husband who is constantly angry at his wife for not keeping the house clean enough, and maybe she doesn't. Maybe she doesn't do a great job if she's the one that does the cleaning of the house. Maybe she doesn't do it well enough. But if you're angry about that constantly, below that anger is the thought, I deserve to always live in a clean house. I'm better than that. It should always be clean. It should always be well taken care of. There's a sense of entitlement at the bottom of that. Sometimes I'll just give you guys examples and try to get you to understand where I'm coming from. Sometimes we'll take our kids to the store and we have four kids. We broke the American cultural rule and we've got more than two. We've got four kids. And I'm an only child, so I'm not throwing off on that. I'm just saying we broke that rule and we have multiple children. And our children are kind of getting older a little bit now, especially when they were smaller. We go to the store, and guys, you cannot imagine. Most of the time we would have my mom watch the kids while we go to the store or whatever. But when you take four little kids to Walmart, you cannot imagine the amount of angry looks you get at people. And look, my kids are pretty well behaved as kids go. People tell me, Brent, your kids are so well behaved, and I always answer, that's because they know they have to be. I don't give them an option, okay? It's not, you know, what, would you like to behave today or not behave today? No, you're going to behave if you're going to be around me or you're going to get in trouble. So my kids are pretty well behaved, but still, people give you these nasty, ugly looks when you take four little kids out. And they're little kids. They're going to make some noises. They're going to do some things that aren't, you know, adult-like. They're going to be little kids. And so we get these nasty looks. And I just got where somebody give me a look like that, and I just give them a look back. <laughs> But underlying all that was an idea of basically saying, I deserve to shop here without having any noisy little kids around. I deserve to shop here without being annoyed by other people's children. And look, I, we've all seen kids get out in public and, and act crazy, right? Okay, that's not what we're talking about. They had an entitlement idea of these kids shouldn't be around me. I shouldn't have to be bothered by that. What am I saying? I'm saying the root of anger is a spirit of entitlement. I'm too good to have to go through this. I'll have better than what I'm getting. The problem with anger is it doesn't stop with that, just that spirit. That's the root, but it grows up. It grows into something very real, very palpable, very present. The body or the trunk of anger, the trunk of the tree of anger, is an attitude of aggression. An attitude of aggression. As Christians, we're supposed to be people of peace. And the Bible tells us as much as it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live in peace with all men. So that shows us there sometimes it's not possible. But as much as it is possible, exhaust every option to live in peace with other people. 
That's what we're called to do. That's what we're supposed to do. But if you have an attitude of anger, it's going to grow up into this, or you have a, a, a spirit of anger, it's going to grow up into this attitude of aggression. Proverbs, if you read the book of Proverbs, it talks about angering people time and time again. And I don't have time to go through all those verses. But Proverbs 19, 19 says, Hot-tempered people must pay the penalty. If you rescue them once, you will just have to do it again. In other words, they have, it's their life. It's just part of their life. It's not a one-time outburst. We used to say when, when we were teaching, when I was teaching middle school, one of the guys I worked with, one of the students would, would lose it or whatever, and he'd say, you know what? They had an outburst. That's not what we're talking about here. It's not a single time of an outburst or something that's an outlier. This is a consistent thing. If you rescue them once, you're just going to have to do it again because this is who they are. This is part of who they are. Church, this is what's scary about this. Your whole life can become consumed by anger. You can become an angry person. That can be your identifying trait. Now, as Christians, what should be our identifying trait? Our relationship with Jesus, right? Not our angry attitude, but we, if we're not careful, our whole life can become consumed with anger. Anger makes people into human volcanoes. You know they're going to lie dormant for a while. You know, you know that it's going to be quiet for a while, but just under the surface, it's always brewing. Just under the surface, you know one day there's going to be an eruption, right? You know one day it's going to happen, and then well, because it's always there, it's always right under the surface. I don't want to be a human volcano. I don't know about you. I want to be better than that. And by the way, nobody, nobody wants to be friends with someone like that. You never know when they're going to go off on you. You never know when you're going to say the wrong thing, and they're going to turn around and they're going to come against you. And you don't even mean it, but all of a sudden they blow up on you because you said the wrong thing. Nobody wants to be friends with someone like that. Nobody wants to work for a boss like that. Those of you who are in authority, your workers don't want you always going off on them and abusing them for every little thing. Now, is there time for correction? Is there time for, for helping somebody get on the right path? Absolutely. But there's a godly way to do that, and that's not blowing up on people in anger. Nobody really wants to be married to a spouse like that. Nobody wants a spouse that's angry all the time and you never know when they're going to go off on you because of their anger issues. Nobody wants to be in a relationship with a human volcano. Nobody wants to be the child of a parent like that. You can do a lot of damage to your kids with anger. You can do lifelong damage to your kids with anger. Nobody wants to be involved with that. The trunk of the tree, guys, is that's the major part of the tree. Most of the wood is there. If you take a tree down, if you've ever worked in that sort of thing, most of the weight of the tree is in the trunk. Okay, it's the densest part, it's the biggest part of the tree. A tree is mostly defined by its trunk. If it's twisted, the tree is twisted. If it grows to the side, the tree grows to the side. That trunk part kind of defines everything. It springs up from the root, but it gives shape to the entire tree. If you're an angry person, the shape of your entire life is going to be defined by your anger. It's going to bend you one way or another. It's going to twist you one way or another. You can have other good qualities, and I promise you no one will notice. If you're an angry person, that will overcome all of that. It will overshadow all of that. Your anger will become your chief identity to others and sometimes also to yourself. Well, I'm just an angry person. That's just who I am. 
And so that's the trunk of the tree, but it won't stop there because trees bear fruit that goes along with the kind of tree they are. You'll never see an apple tree bear oranges. Okay, it's just not going to happen. It's not how God designed it. The fruit, Jesus talked about that. The fruit that you bear goes along with the kind of tree that you actually are. And so the fruit of anger, the end of anger, is daily destruction. Daily destruction. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 22 says, An angry person starts fights. A hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sin. Daily destruction, all kinds of sin, all kinds of problems come from anger. I heard the story about a little boy that had anger issues with his little brother. He had been an only child and then his little brother came into his life and this little boy was several years old when his little brother was born. And so his little brother came into his life and just messed everything up and his little brother was making, always making messes and his little brother was always stealing his toys and his little brother was always aggravating him when he was trying to play Fortnite or something. I don't know. But his little brother was always there just on his nerves. And so he developed a temper problem, an anger problem with his little brother. And so it got so bad that his dad told him finally, look, son, your anger problem with your little brother is getting out of hand. Here's what I want you to do. Instead of lashing out at your brother, instead of getting angry at your brother and hitting him or whatever, I want you to, every time you get angry with him, I want you to go out to the fence in the backyard and I want you to drive a nail in that fence. And so the little boy said, okay, Dad, I'll do what you tell me to. So the first day, this little boy drove 31 nails in that fence because his little brother, he was angry at his little brother 31 times. The next day, the little boy went out there and he drove 20 nails in the fence. He had calmed down a little bit, a little tired of driving those nails, but he still had problems with 20 nails. And finally, eventually, it worked down until there was finally a day there was finally a day after several weeks where the little boy did not get angry at his brother a single time. And he came back to his dad and he said, Dad, I didn't get angry at my little brother a single time today. I wasn't angry at all. And his dad said, okay, good. Now what I want you to do is go back out to the fence and I want you to take one nail out. You made one day without being angry. Every day that you're not angry, I want you to take a nail out of the fence. His little brother worker, the big brother, worked on his anger so much and for so long that eventually he was able to string enough days together that he was able to take every single nail that he had driven out of that fence. He had gotten over his anger issues with his little brother. And the dad said, son, I'm so proud of you. You did such a great job overcoming your anger and learning how to deal with your temper and everything and learning to love your little brother better. And that's wonderful. He said, but I want us, let's go back out to the fence one more time. And so his dad took the older brother out to the fence and he said, now son, what do you see when you look at that fence? And the little boy said, a whole lot of holes. There's a whole lot of holes left there from where I, where I nailed that many nails into that fence. And his dad said, anger is like that. You might overcome it, you might get over it, but you're gonna leave a lot of holes in life because of your anger. Same way with us guys, if we have an anger issue, we can leave holes in a lot of things if we let our anger get the best of us. <coughs> anger can put holes in friendships. I don't know about you, but I have people who I used to be really close to and I'm not close to them anymore. And anger was a part of that. Anger can put holes in marriages. You can repair it and you can fix it, but if you've got a spouse that's angry, or especially if you have two spouses that are angry, 
You can do damage to your marriage that will never fully recover. It will never be exactly what it could have been unless God just miraculously gives you grace on that. It can put holes in marriages. Anger can put holes in families. How many family members are estranged from other family members because of an outburst of anger or an episode of anger? Anger can put holes in careers. I remember a lady that, that worked with me uh, when I was in the middle school, and she talked about when she first started teaching, she had a little bit of anger issues and unruly kids, which is never a good combination. And she said this one little boy smarted off to her one day, and she said her fist went back like this. And she said, I watched 30 years of teaching go back to my side. I was able to teach for 30 years because I got a hold of myself and did not do what I wanted to do. But how many people have lost careers because of anger? Have lost jobs because of anger? Anger can put holes, maybe most tragically, in our Christian witness. If somebody sees you angry, it doesn't matter the other good things you do. If someone sees you lose it, it can kill your Christian witness with that individual maybe forever. Maybe for the rest of your life and maybe for the rest of theirs. Anger puts holes in the good times and what could have been good memories. Good things going on. One of the most stressful situations I think that a person could possibly have is a family vacation. You, you let, let's load everybody up in tight quarters and drive for several hours. That sounds like a great idea. And by the time you get something that could have been really good, supposed to be a fun and relaxing time, something goes wrong, you lose it, you snap on your kids or whatever. Should have been a great memory, but because of anger, instead it was a bad memory. It can do that sort of thing. Anger puts a lot of holes in a lot of things. The fruit of anger is daily destruction. Whether it's big, big destruction or small destruction, it always destroys something every day. And that's why we have to overcome it. That's why we have to overcome anger. As I told you, I'm not standing up here and telling you I'm a person. Some things I preach on, I've never really had to deal with in my life. This is one that I have to deal with. This is one that I have struggled with over the years. So God showed me this, and hopefully he's showing you this as well. If you need to overcome anger, you cannot deal with the fruit. You have to deal with the root. You cannot deal with the manifestation of it. You cannot deal with the daily destruction. You have to get all the way down to the root. And you have to deal with the root cause of anger. Too many times we give in to anger constantly. And we'll, we'll get a little bit better. But then we slide back on that. And we fall back on that. Because we're not dealing with the root cause. And let me go back to the brother James, the brother of Jesus. What did he say the root cause was again? He said... James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that were within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. What's he saying? Your anger, my anger, much of our anger comes from a lack of humility. That spirit of entitlement must be replaced with a, with a presence of humility, a spirit of humility. As long as you feel like you deserve better, as, as long as you feel like you deserve more, as long as you feel like you should never have to suffer or go anything through anything, you're always going to be susceptible to anger's grip. You're going to have to attack this tree of anger at the very root. The opposite of arrogance is humility. 
And the perfect example of humility was Jesus Christ. Perfect example of humility. Perfect example of selflessness. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. That's why there's no room in God's kingdom for stuck-up Christians. Value others above yourself. Put others above yourself. You're no better than anyone else. We all have to go through some junk in this world. We all have things that singe our souls and bother us, guys. Every single one of us, me, you, all of us, we have to go through some things in this life. I'm going to have to go through some things. You're going to have to go through some things. You're no better than anyone else. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. In other words, Jesus was God. He was sinless. If, if anybody ever deserved a perfect life, if ever, anyone ever deserved not to suffer, if anyone ever deserved everything to go his way, it was Jesus. He was God in the flesh. He was perfection. He was perfectly humble. He was perfectly good. But look at what Jesus went through for us. He had, he had people spit on him. He had people mock him. He had people degrade him. Every bad thing that you can think about happening to a person happened to Jesus, and he was the only perfect person in this world. Jesus deserved good, and instead he had to go through bad. So what makes you think you'll be any better? Hey, let me get the reality to you. Let me put it to you this way. If we got what we deserve, we would get hell. That's all we deserve. We are people, we're just animated dust that's looked at God and said, God, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to be the God of my own life. If we got what we deserve, we would get a terrible life and then we would die and go to hell. That's what we would deserve. It's the grace of God that we get anything else. We're not too good. We're not too good to suffer. We're not too good to go through some things. We're not too good to have some difficulties. We're not too good to experience some persecution. We're not too good for any of that. So what we need to do, the way to undercut anger, the way to get the root of this thing, is to follow the example of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 15 says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing. That's a command of Scripture. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, I'm not saying that's easy, y'all. I'm not saying that's easy. I can complain with the best of them. But when I do it, I'm wrong. And when I do it, I, I should not be doing that. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. If you don't complain, if you don't argue, the whole world will notice there's something different about you. Because why is that? Because the whole world is complaining and arguing constantly. If you'll be, I hear this from so many people, by the way, when I preach funerals. Saints of God who have walked with the Lord for a long time. And I hear from so many family members, they'll say, you know what, they went through cancer. Or they had heart disease or whatever. But I never heard them complain one time. And I usually think, well, probably if you knew them back in their younger days, you would have heard them complain some. 
But they walked with God and Jesus has worked on them to the point where they became blameless and pure. They didn't complain. They didn't grumble. They didn't argue. They were a testimony to their families of how to live a godly life. And we can be that too. In other words, the way to get rid of anger is to become more like Jesus. You want to be less angry, you've got to be more like Jesus. This world is terrible. This world will mistreat us. This world will break our heart. This world will, will singe our soul. But if Jesus took it without being overcome by anger, we can do it as well. Not because of us, but because of Him. Through Him, we can overcome it. Guys, I've already admitted today. I already admitted today that I've struggled with anger. That's been a problem for me for years. And just when I think I've overcome it, something will happen. You know, and it'll be like, you know what? I'm depending on Jesus. I'm depending on His grace because I've not arrived yet. Something will remind me of that occasionally. I've already admitted it to you. And so if you admit it to me this morning, it's no big deal. Really, I'm not the one that needs to be admitted to, confessed to anyway. But I just wonder, would you let me just pray for you if you struggle with this? I understand it. I, I, I get it. I would love to be able to pray for you. And Jesus understands, understands it because he was tempted in all points like we are, and yet he never seen So if you would just this morning, this is how I want to end up, no altar call, nothing like that. But if you guys could just bow your heads, close your eyes for just a second. I wonder if anybody here would just be willing to admit. I'm the first one with my hand up, okay? I wonder if you would just be willing to admit. Just slip your hand in and say, Brent, I struggle with anger sometimes when you pray for me. I struggle with this. This is an issue for me. This is an issue for me. Anybody else need to admit? Sometimes I struggle with this. Thank you guys for your honesty. You can put your hands down and you can, you can look back up here. We're going to sing a song. It's a song we have done many times here, but we probably haven't done it recently. But it's one that's going to be familiar to you. It's a song about the fact, the reality, that Jesus can break every chain. There's no chain out there. The chain of anger, the chain of bitterness, the chain of fear, whatever's coming against you, Jesus can break every chain. If we'll just let him, if we'll just surrender, he can break every chain. So we're going to sing that as a declaration this morning. And then I'm going to come back up here and I'm just going to pray for all of us. I don't, know about, I don't know about you. I need prayer daily. I need help daily to make it in this life and to live the kind of life that Jesus would have me live. So let's stand together and let's sing this song and then we'll close out in prayer together that God would make us look more like Jesus Christ. There is power in the name. 